God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have been uh, in the last few weeks, in terms of my preaching at least, uh, in the, the letter of Paul to the Romans. And uh, you probably noticed that, that here, as well as in all of Paul's works, there's a kind of uh, heft or, or uh, weight to what he seems to be writing. And it may seem dense and maybe even difficult for us to kind of know what he's talking about at certain times. And yet, Paul, what Paul has to say to us, I think, is really of importance. And so uh, try, trying to dig a little deeper and find out what he's talking about, I think, is worthwhile. Uh, in fact, the, the weightiness of his, his uh, work and, and the brilliance of it is really quite remarkable. I've heard this said, I've never really verified this, but in, uh, back in the day, uh, law schools, actually, some of the law schools would use the book of Romans, a letter to the Romans, um, in their classes to show students how to develop uh, arguments and, and, and from point to point to point in a, in a, in a wonderful way. So it's a value at a lot of different levels. Now, uh, we, but if we read Paul as a lawyer, we're probably going to miss it. Actually, if we read Paul as a theologian, we're probably going to miss a, lo a lot of what he's meaning and not be able to get through the thickness of it. But rather, I think we need to look at Paul as actually a mystic if we want to understand what he's talking about. And so I'm hoping today we can kind of take that mystical look at this uh, section from Romans chapter 10. Now, I mentioned in my last sermon that chapters 9, 10, and, and 11 of uh, Romans, Paul is talking about the, the problem of uh, Judaism interfacing with this new Gentile movement that, he's, that Paul himself is so involved in. He's been going all through the Gentile world uh, proclaiming this Jewish Messiah as a, as a Jewish rabbi. Um, and so uh, we've got this whole situation where people, this is all news to them. It's, it's something that's been not on their radar if they're Gentile people, uh, which is why it's proclaiming the good news. And so what he's doing specifically here in, in chapter 10 uh, is he's, he's talking about uh, getting some clarity about what the Christian message is that he's proclaiming, the, what the good news is, uh, and comparing it to what what was sort of the Jewish, the typical Jewish story or the news that they were proclaiming um, as well. And so that's, that's where we want to go today in terms of our investigation. Now, when Paul, in terms of the Jewish question, when, when Paul um, went into a new area, a new city or a new town, if there were a Jewish synagogue there, he would start actually at the Jewish synagogue and talk about Jesus being the Messiah. And then he would branch out into the Gentile community and begin to proclaim it there. So it, it set up a, 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 um, an interface that was really important for both of these two movements of understanding Judaism, understanding the Gentile world, and within that, overarchingly understanding the good news of the kingdom related to Jesus the Christ. And so that's what we have today. So actually, I'm going to back up just a little bit in this chapter, kind of take a look at what he's saying here. And it's probably going to sound, when, we, when you first hear it, and maybe when it was being read earlier, sort of like, what is he trying to say? You know, it's, and, but I think we're going to be able to, to discover something here that's really important for our lives in understanding the message today in our world, the message of good news. So he starts out in this chapter 
again, this is a few verses back from where we started today. He says, brothers and sisters, writing to the Romans, my heart's desire and prayer for, uh, to God for, is for them is that they may be saved. And he's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters. His prayer and his heart's desire is that they may be saved or rescued from their predicament, whatever that may be. And he's going to describe that. He says, I can testify that they have a zeal for God. They're passionate about this particular um, uh, faith that they are, they are embracing. But he says they have a zeal for God, but it's not enlightened. In other words, with their, their zeal is not being matched by the real understanding of what the, the, the true message about God is. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. Now, the word righteousness means being in the right relationship, the right standing with God. It's not fundamentally about uh, particular right behaviors against wrong behaviors. It's really about that relationship and understanding the whole uh, uh, agenda uh, that God has for humanity. So he says uh, they're ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, and they seek to establish their own righteousness. Not, and so they've not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ, he says, is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, this is the beginning of the good news message here, that the law is ended. The law was one where there was an external attempt to do particular things, to think in a particular way, to say the right things in order for to get God's attention and get God's favor and therefore be somehow included, but it was an external sort of thing. And so Paul goes on to where we're, we're, uh, we're at today, and he says, Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, going back to Moses, through, which the, through whom the law came, that he writes that the person who does these things, the law, uh, will live by them. But the righteousness, the right standing that comes from faith or trust in God says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, he, that's where it really starts sounding confusing. What is he talking about here? Ascending and descending and, and how does that have, what does that have to do with anything? It has everything to do with what the message is, according to Paul. That, uh, again, when we when were looking at, as the Jews did, at, at finding our acceptance, our righteousness, our place with God out there in the external world, where it's really not going to be a transformational experience. So if we think that we can go out there, or we can go down there, anywhere outside of ourselves and discover Christ there exclusively, then we will have missed it. Why? Because he says, what does it say? This is Isaiah 52. The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. So here's the big good news shift that's going on, that it's not an external message. It's, it's something that starts in here, that it's already here, that that word is near you. It's in your, it comes from your lip, your interface with it, uh, from your heart, 
from the very core of your being. So it's a shift inward instead of the external world. So you can see um, how this is a really quite uh, an innovative message, both for the Gentile people and for Jewish people as Paul proclaims it. Now, this is the message he goes on to talk about that we, you know, because he's in a situation where he's, he's taking this message in Gentile world who've never heard of Jesus Christ to start with and really have very little knowledge or interface with Judaism. Because that was just a kind of a backwater over there. So here's this Jewish rabbi talking about a Jewish rabbi who he's calling the Messiah, which is a Jewish concept. And so, you know, what is all that meaning? How is he straightening that out? And so he, he goes into talking about the necessity of, of people going and being called to go out and proclaim this particular message to the world. But what is the message? Well, we've just, just looked at what that message is. It's that the Christ is there. We're not going to find him there, up there or down there or anywhere else exclusively. The whole external world starts to make sense when the internal world is connected with God, that we found our righteousness, our right standing with God, that we've come to believe, which means to trust in that reality and live into that reality, and then the transformation really is underway. So I would propose this, and this is my own opinion, you may disagree with this, but there is a message that, that people have heard about Christianity. We're in a very different situation than Paul was where nobody's heard anything. Most everybody in the world has heard something about Jesus. And it's easy to get the word out with, uh, with all the media and social media, all the different means today. So the word's out there. The unfortunate thing is I think that the word uh, that's out there is not quite the accurate one because I think it still is one of an external message. So here's my proposal. This is what I think most non-Christians might hear when they hear anything about the message of Jesus the Christ. It goes something like this. That God wants us to be rescued, to be saved, to be in this relationship with God. And so in order to be saved, what has to happen is you have to, to receive something. That God has this salvation right, right over here, and you don't have it. So as the message would go, what you need to do is find a way for God to be in a position to give you what he has and you don't have. And so if we, like in the Jewish understanding, if we do things and we think things and say things that are consistent with what this God requires in order to give this salvation, this rescue to us, then that will happen. So it becomes external again, right? And so that's kind of the message that, that we, God's going to give this thing that he's, he's clinging to if we will meet this particular criteria. However, if for whatever reason we don't really ask or want this particular thing that God has, then, as the message would go, unfortunately, you're going to be left out. You're going to be in a position where you are excluded from this whole thing and you will go to hell and you will have this eternal torture um, and misery as a result of that. However, if you accept this particular thing and you take from God this thing that he has, then you will actually be like us and think like us and do like us and say the things that we say and you will find yourself in heaven. 
Now, I'm going to say, you know, there are a number of these points here that aren't far from what Christianity is. But, the, but, but fundamentally, it's, it's this exchange that, that, that requires an external um, response rather than seeing that that word is already near us. It's already in our hearts, as Paul says. And so the whole agenda for how we make, we make a response to God through the, the, the message of Jesus Christ uh, has to do with seeing first that inner reality, receiving it as, you know, as, as Paul's talking about, of, be, of, of being in, you know, in, uh, transformed by it, of being enlightened by this particular thing is the very word that he's using here. The enlightened, being enlightened to the reality and responding to it. So Paul is offering us this incredibly uh, good news message. I would say this other message is kind of bad news for a lot of people of the, the God that we've got to, to please in all these different ways in order to get this salvation or rescue. And yet the, the true gospel of the, of the New Testament, I believe, is one of fantastic news, of liberating news, of news that actually does have the capacity to transform us. It's not external only. So I want to kind of give an example. So this kind of changes the way we might do evangelism, if you will. Evangelism is simply proclamation of good news. That's what it means. So how do we, in our world, in a world that, that is all connected and there's a message going out all the time, what does that message look like? And how does it re- correspond with what we see from the works of Paul? And I, this is an example I used some months ago. Um, I think it bears repeating because I think it really explains kind of what this looks like in uh, the world today. Uh, back in the fall, I um, went, uh, you know, I've been, been training for being an Enneagram teacher for some time, and I had my very last class that I, that I was required to take. I was in Cincinnati and at a retreat center there, and uh, uh, was gathered with uh, the people for a meal uh, early on in our, our weekend together, and uh, kind of ca- come out that I was a priest, no big deal. I mean, you know, people were kind of all over the board in terms of their, their ideas of things and their spirituality and everything. But it happened, I was sitting with several people at one of the meals, and a woman across from me um, you knew as I, I was a priest, and she sort of kind of stated where she was. And uh, so where she was, she was about my age, and she had just retired a few months earlier. She was a scientist. And uh, so she, that was kind of important for her to know that she was a thinking person, right? And, um, but also that she um, was lesbian, and uh, that was sort of her lifestyle. So, so on the very front end, she's sort of giving these descriptions of particular things that I'm sure she's had the experience that that's been the, ex- the things that have excluded her in a conversation about Christianity. So she stated those, and I said, that's interesting, you know, and and, and she said, you know, I don't really haven't had an experience with growing up in the church. I kind of really didn't ever had that. And, you know, I uh, don't know that I missed anything, but uh, uh, it's not really been a part of my life. And so we were talking for a little bit, and I, it occurred to me to, to respond to her kind of like this. And it was, I said, you know what? No matter what those things say, what I know is, is that Christ is in all things. Paul says that, right? Christ is in, in everything. And what Christ's mission is to restore all things in that Christ. 
Okay. So I said, the thing is, is what Christianity really says is Christ is in you right now. No matter what your history with that is, no matter what your perspective on that is, Christ is in you already. You don't have to do anything to cause that to happen. You don't have to take it from here, bring it over there by doing and saying and thinking particular things, but rather it's already there. And I said, you know, following Christ is something where you simply open up to that reality. It's not hard, it's not complicated. You don't have to really go over any hurdles in order to do that. It's just simply there for the taking, if we choose to. And it was like, it was, she was just beaming after I said this, because I'm sure she's had a history where people, Christian people have, have found ways to put her on the other side of where they're at. Instead of, I think as God does, as Christ does, as Paul did, to find the way to, for us to come toward him. To realize that he's not up there, he's not down there, he's not over there, but he's right here. And that becomes such good news in a world that really is, I think, in fundamentally seeking meaning, trying to figure it out. And so to the degree that we're able to be clear about it, then we are being faithful to that very gospel. And so Paul ends the reading today with this saying, it's from from the prophet Isaiah too. He says, um, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful the feet of the people who go out with this message and bring good news to others. It's a real simple task to be an evangelist. Simply recognizing that, being enlightened in ourselves, and inviting other people to take that move toward recognizing that Christ is in them already. In that, we become faithful and we see our world transformed. Amen.